We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening, everyone. Thankful that you're here. I love that video there, Return, Restore, and Rebuild. We're in the book of Nehemiah right now talking about rebuilding the wall. Uh, It's significant in this time period in history, a wall means more than it does to us today. A wall around a city there was a huge military um, advancement. It was something that was very, very important. It would be like a military weapon that we have today that would give us an advantage over an attacking enemy. A wall around the city, a fortified wall was very, very valuable. If you've been there, as uh, Jared was talking about to Israel, wonderful, beautiful place, life-changing. I'd encourage everyone uh, that could go to go. You can go up, come up to cities that have a huge stone wall still around them, and oftentimes they would not have a gate that would go directly into the, the city. And the reason they would do that, they would want to make the gate either turn to the left or to the right, 90 degrees. So you'd have to take a left or a right angle. Why do you think that was? Because if that army was approaching, they didn't want them to have full momentum and be able to just bust through those gates and come forward. They wanted them to have to slow down, stop, and turn to the left or to the right. And that gave them, again, an advantage to defend their city or whatever area that they were uh, defending. We're in the book of Nehemiah. If you remember Ezra, God had caused him, raised him up. They found the scripture. They went back to the Bible. Uh, Ezra preached the word of God in the people's heart, encouraged them to go back. We're in the time now where uh, Nehemiah is sent back. He was a cupbearer to a king in a foreign land. But God has just moved mountains to get uh, many of his people back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And they're in the process of building the wall around Jerusalem. Last week, we got to the point where they built half of the, the wall, all the way around half the wall height. But as any time you or I are going to follow God's will, and certainly throughout history, nations, families, people, groups, churches, when we follow God's will, there will always be an opposition. Uh, sometimes I think we are sold a bill of goods. We watch a television commercial and, and they, they want to sell us something. So everything's bright and shiny and it looks good. And they don't talk about all the things that could happen. Uh, in our, our, our society, we, we want to live here long. I want to tell you if you want a really good business idea, on about January the, the 15th, go buy up all the, the used exercise equipment that was bought on January 1st. Because we go to the, if you go buy a a, a gym on January 1st and 2nd and 3rd, that first week, it is packed. Because we've all made those those New Year's resolutions. We're going to get in shape and we're going to go back. And we buy this equipment and you can get it for a a good price about 30 days later. So just wait around and you can have a good, good business. But they're in the process of building the wall and there's an enemy. And the enemy's formidable. And we've got to realize, too, that we have an enemy. Um, we teach our children uh, to not be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. But we don't lie to them that there's not bad things that can happen in our world. We do it age appropriate. We don't lie to our teenagers and say, you're going to have a perfect life. Nothing ever bad is going to happen to you. We, we realize monsters are real. And in this circumstance here in the book of Nehemiah, the bad guys have come out. They've tried two things so far. There's going to be seven overall. Seven different attacks that the enemy 
uses against God's people to stop them from building. And I believe they are just as relevant to us today as they were to Nehemiah and, and the people of Israel. The first one was that they were going to try to pass a law against what they were doing. That would never happen in our time today, would it? They tried that with uh, Daniel, remember? They're trying to get Daniel in trouble. He hasn't done anything wrong. And they say, you're not going to find anything wrong with this guy unless you find something against his God. Get him to do something that he will not compromise. So they passed the law. Anybody that prays 30 days except to the king is going to be thrown in, Daniel, and the lion's den. And they knew Daniel wouldn't compromise God's word. They tried that with Nehemiah and the people of Israel, and it didn't work. Nehemiah, as a good leader, Nehemiah is not a preacher. He is not a priest. He is not a scribe. Nehemiah is a politician. I know it's hard to believe, but good politicians do exist. And I'm just being facetious because there's a lot of good people that serve our country and our towns and in areas around. But uh, we see a lot of people that use those offices in a, a less than honorable way. Nehemiah was used by God to be a great leader. And somebody had asked me, Cheryl, to ask me to send those 21 things that I briefly went over last week, characteristics of leadership. I sent those right before the service started. So if you're on our email list, you got it. If you're not on the email list, Please don't leave tonight without me writing your email down or one of the guys, and you will get the next emails on, email on the way. The first thing, let's get them guilty against the law. Get them to break the law of the land because they won't compromise God's word. It didn't work. The second one last week was they dealt with anger. They said, we're going to scare them with anger, fierce anger. How many of you have said in uh, recent times, it seems like you can't get anything done unless you throw a fit? You ever been there? You're talking to, I better not say the name of the utility company, but you're talking to a company on the, on the telephone and, and you're trying to get something done and it just looks like there's no way that they're going to get it done. And, and uh, the, sometimes the loudest, squeakiest wheel gets something done. And I just hate that. Uh, I was taught to be kind, to count others better than myself. Not to count myself as bad, but count others better. I was taught to give place to others, seek another person's wealth in the Lord that they might be right with the Lord. And, and um, there's a lot of people take advantage of that. They really do. It didn't work. They tried to frighten them with anger, getting very mad, these enemies of Nehemiah and God. And now we're on the third one. And this one is really, um, if, if I can... I beg the Lord to please uh, preach through me tonight because this is something that would be very, very uh, emotional. It would touch us at the very core of ourselves and our families. And they're going to try to threaten them with an attack, a terror attack. We've heard a lot in the last 25 or 30 years about terrorists well, the fact is that a lot of people that we call terrorists call us terrorists too. So who's right? A terrorist is somebody that manipulates circumstances and will go to great lengths to try to scare someone else that they might be harmed, attacked, or even killed when they're not expecting it. A terrorist, and a terrorist can come in a lot of different forms, a lot of different packages. 
wants you to be always frightened that never can rest, never can say everything's okay. They want you to always be frightened of an impending attack. That's the power of a terrorist. I want you to keep your finger there, Nehemiah, but I do want us all to read a verse together in the book of Philippians. There's a commandment that's given to us of the Apostle Paul and also that Jared read to us earlier that we'll get to as we close tonight. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1? I want you to look at a verse as Paul is writing back to a church that is faithful to the Lord. They had some things that need to get worked out like any church does, but Paul wanted them to know that when the enemies come, you can do something. You can be prepared. You can be ready. And I want you to see in Philippians chapter 1, um, I'll read verse 27 and 28, please. 27 and 28, Philippians chapter 1. Paul says to the church, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And look at this. In no way alarmed by your opponents. Paul said, do not let the bad guys make you afraid. Who are the bad guys? That's Satan. Those are his demons. Those are enemies of the cross. Paul wept as he wrote part of the New Testament because there were people committed to fighting against Christ and Christianity, enemies of the cross, unsaved, the lost that are fighting against God's word and against his will. Paul says, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. Now, let's just be honest though. That's Paul. Paul was pretty tough. He went through a lot of things. Surely God's not writing that verse to us, is it? That was the church at Philippi, but surely he's not saying that to us today. I don't want you to be afraid of what the enemy can do because that's terrorism. That is a terrorist. Can there be a domestic terrorist, somebody that lives among us? Can. Can there be a terrorist that comes from another country that tries to harm us as a nation? We have had that. Can there be a terrorist in a church? The Bible says that there's enemies of the cross sneak into churches to try to harm. Can there be a terrorist in our own families that causes trouble and harm and tries to make people afraid? When I go visit families and I see little children that have a godly mom and a godly dad or a godly single parent that's raising them, and I see those children with smiles on their faces and they're at play and they're restful, and they're not afraid. What a great gift that is to that child. When I go in those houses and I see those children, they're afraid of loud noises. They're tired all the time because they haven't slept. They haven't had a night's peace in a long time. I'll tell you what I did as a young pastor. I was uh, kind of full of myself, I guess, never outwardly smart aleck or anything like that, but just as, just as uh, in need of sanctification as anybody else that starts out. And we in the congregation that I served would go pick up a lot of children that didn't have moms and dads. We ran a bus and picked them all up. So there was a lot of kids that would sit with families of the church. And when I was young in my 20s, pastoring, I would say, 
Now, everybody needs to listen. These are God's words. And I, the heart of, uh, of my heart was the intent to honor God's word. We need to listen. But I'd look out there sometimes and those children would just be nodded off. And I remember one time I was thinking, Lord, why don't they, I don't want those kids listen. Uh, and I really got convicted. What do you think that I was convicted about? I believe God just impressed on my heart. Do you realize, Mike, that some of these children have never known a moment's peace in their households where they're being raised? And when they come in church and they're sitting in a safe place, no wonder some of them need to go to sleep. Now, if it's my son and daughter that are over there asleep, I'm going to make sure Holly wakes them up. I love it to see when children are in a peaceful situation. Well, the Bible says, don't be afraid. I don't know about you, but that's a difficult one. I want to share with you real quickly. This is a lesson for another day. But if any of you have ever wondered about fears, there's all kinds of fears. Arachnophobia, isn't that a good name? Made a big movie about it one time. What's that the fear of? Spiders. Uh, agoraphobia, the fear of being around big crowds. And I know people that are afraid of all these things. George Washington was afraid of being buried alive, and, and Napoleon was afraid of cats. I think that's funny. Uh, we all have fears. The toughest people I've ever met in my life, and I've met some tough people, were afraid of something. I've never met anybody that didn't have some fears. We were afraid of a lot of things growing up as a child because if you had a big brother, you know what it is to be afraid because they made you afraid. They told you all kinds of things were going to happen, or big sisters sometimes. But what about us as adults? We're living in a country right now that is full of fear. Anxiety, panic attack, and depression is a pandemic and epidemic in our country. I want to real quickly give you something, if you could take home it with you, and you can throw it away if you don't want to remember it. But I always try to remember HTP, HTP. When you have a four-year-old that comes at night and says, Mama, Daddy, I'm afraid. It's dark. Now, the same tree that was out there in the daytime that they've climbed on and played under and everything, it's at night, and that tree looks a little scary. Well, the sounds and the noises, sometimes even if a, if a storm happens, that child, that four-year-old gets afraid, and they hear that thunder, and, and they don't know what to do. They wonder if something's in the closet. You ever been there? They wonder if something's underneath the bed. I remember those days as a child. There were five of us because in our family, and there was always something to be afraid of with, with five children. But what does that child do? Mom, dad, somebody that they know and love and trust, they cry out to them for help. What does that parent do? The parent, a good parent, doesn't lie to their child, but they say, okay, let me open the closet door. Go and look in the closet. There's nothing in there that wasn't in there earlier. Let me look underneath the bed. There's nothing there. You know that tree? That's the same tree you climbed on this afternoon. And there's nothing out there. And what that child has to do before that child can be um, granted freedom from that fear is they got to hear what the, the parent tells them. They got to hear the truth. They've got to hear the truth. There's nothing under your bed that wasn't there already. There's nothing that's going to hurt you because I've already looked. That's the age. The second thing is that child has to trust the one telling them that. If you have a parent that's not built a relationship of trust with a child, I was teaching a fifth grade class one time. We had two visiting children there, a boy and a girl. 
really cute girl, and, she, and we were talking about trust and how we can trust the Lord. And she said, my daddy and I were standing on top of a, above a river, and it was a little high, the bank. And he said, why don't we both jump together? And I'm looking at this little child. I've never met her before. And I'm just looking inside of her face, and I'm expecting her to tell something happy, and she's not smiling. And I said, well, honey, what happened? She said, well, my daddy said, we'll both jump together so I didn't have to be afraid. And she said, I jumped, but he didn't. You know what my heart did? The same thing your heart did right then when I told you that. It just breaks for that child. And I had to explain to her, well, mamas and daddies make mistakes. I'll bet wherever your dad is today, he wished he would have jumped with you. But I want to tell you one thing. We've got a good father in heaven. And whatever God says, he'll keep his word. And you don't have to worry about him not jumping if he says he's going to jump. He, that child needs to trust the parent. They need to hear the truth. They need to trust the parent. And thirdly, they got to believe what that parent said. Everything's going to be okay. And then what does that four-year-old say? But would you stay with me? You ever been there? Would you stay with me for a while? Stay with me? They want you to stay all night with you, with them. What are they asking? Asking for the presence of the one they trust. And we've got to do the same thing, P. Hear the truth, trust the parent, and we've got to practice the presence. I want to tell you something. We are, as adults, in need of the same thing that four-year-old needed. When fears come in our life and anxiety and panic attack and all kinds of struggles and things that make us afraid and terrorists that want to tear our life apart, we need to hear the truth of God's Word. You know somebody struggling with anxiety, panic attacks, or, or depression, you tell them to saturate themselves with the Word of God. There's no medicine like the Bible. You've got to hear the truth. We've got to trust what our Father in heaven tells us. God, I don't understand how you're going to do it, but your Word says it. I believe it. We've got to trust just like that four-year-old does. And then thirdly, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. We probably have all had friends, family members run out on, the, on us times when we wish they'd be with us, and they left. But God will never do that. Jesus will never do that. We've got to hear the truth from our Father. We've got to trust what our Heavenly Father tells us, and we've got to practice His presence. No matter how frightening it gets, I know God is right here with me. H-T-P. Third attempt. Look with me now in verse 7. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. Now, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, uh, that's the Philistines, heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be clothed, there was a buzz in Jerusalem. You heard what those Jews are doing? All those people that came back? They're rebuilding that wall that was torn down. Sanballat, Tobiah, those guys didn't want them to, to build that wall because they wanted to be governors of the land. They wanted to charge taxes. They wanted to get rich off the people. And they think, if these Jews do that, they'll be a city and a nation to themselves, and we'll miss out. We saw last week that they got very angry, and they tried to show that anger to scare the Jews, and it didn't work. It says, when they heard the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. And here's the next plan. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. They are conspiring together to plan a terrorist attack. 
Now, let's be honest. There's nothing that is not frightening about would-be terrorists. Someone was talking about the book of Jonah, and they were talking about, why did Jonah not do what God said? Well, if God came to you and said, I want you to go to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to Al-Qaeda, I want you to go tell them all about Jesus. How many of us are going to be on that first flight? I just can't wait to get there. That kind of brings it a little bit more into context, doesn't it? That's what Jonah was called to do. He was going to preach to those Ninevites, and they were the most wicked people and cruel warriors. It would be a very scary thing to do what Jonah was asked to do. We have terrorists today. I look around and I think 9-11, this last uh, time that we, we remembered that, um, that date in our history, I looked around and many of the young people of our church weren't even born yet. They weren't born yet. And that just amazes me that that time has gone by that quickly. How easy it is to forget. Do you know that many college and high school institutions are full of people that don't even believe the Holocaust happened? We've got to be careful, not be afraid of the history, teach the truth about it, and make sure that we change the things that need to be changed about our history. You see what happens here? They got very angry and they said, we're going to get together. And we're going to attack these people. We're going to come and, and fight against them and cause a great disturbance in it. Do you notice what they noticed? They said the breaches began to be closed. The, the breaches were the gaps. Those are the places where the enemy could sneak in, the holes in the wall. You know what? We all have some breaches in our life, places where we need the wall built up a little stronger and a little tighter. And that's what the work of the Holy Spirit is. God loves you and he loves me so much that as we trust him, he's changing our lives. He's closing up the breaches. He's building up those walls and he's making us more the men and women of God that he wants us to be. Well, the enemy didn't like it. We're gonna do something about it. They've got the half that wall built and they decided they're gonna to get together and be a terrorist. And when they cause a disturbance, that word, what it, what it refers to is causing a riot. Uh, I don't mind that this is, uh, we're preaching tonight to people around the world, whoever's listening online, whoever it may be. And I don't apologize for the fact that people that are willing to cause a riot, to cause harm, to steal, to loot, and to harm other people, to, to hurt someone, just to get a message heard, they're, they're wrong. They're wrong. That's not the way you do that. But that's what these people are doing. They're rising up to riot, to burn the cities, to attack in a terrorist attack. What do you think Nehemiah and the Israelites are going to do? I want you to see there's several things. Verse 9 gives us the first one. It says, but. I've got a good friend that always, when, when we hear about a story in the Bible and then it has a but where the story turns, he says, that's a holy but is what that is. Because God's working right there and he's going to turn this situation around. But we, what is that? We pray to our God. Now that seems so simple. Seems naive almost sometimes. They've threatened us with terror attack. But the scripture says, but Nehemiah and those people believed in their God who loved them, who called them. They're in the will of God and they trusted and practiced the presence of their father 
that is right there with him and that said, we, we took our appeal to the one who can do something about it. In counseling, many times people come with marriage situations or they come with other problems in, in business. And one of the things that we find almost 99% of the time is we can ask them, have you been reading God's Word? And they'll say, well, I've read it before. And that's, that's what we ask them, no, have you read it on a consistent basis? Are you reading God's Word? Are you feeding on God's Word? Well, I do some, how much? Well, and then pretty soon they tell you they haven't been in their Bible in a long time. The second thing, are you praying regularly? Yeah, I pray to the Lord. Pray all the time. Well, not all the time, but when was the last time you prayed? Well, it's been a while. Those two things oftentimes are the two things that somebody finally admits, I haven't done that in so long. What they did was what we need to do. The very first thing when a fear comes against our life to make us afraid. And I think we need to get prepared. I read something the other day that we don't need to be a church that is trying to entertain people. We need to be a church that's preparing people for the days that are ahead. And the first thing they did was they prayed. They prayed to their God. They begged God for his will and his mercy and his strength and his power. And then notice number two. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard. They didn't just sit there and say, oh, God will take care of us, and I don't have to do anything. No, they got ready, and they set a guard to watch. They put somebody on the front lines, and that's what our churches ought to be. Man, it's great to have social programs that help when people's families are messed up and when children go bad. And it is great to have people when poverty hits them. And it is great in medical situations to have some ministries that will reach out and do all those things. But I want to tell you something. The church ought to be doing every one of those things. We ought to be taking care of our own and we ought to be reaching out and taking care of others. That's what Jesus did. And we shouldn't pawn it off on the government or on the, the, uh, uh, the secular uh, nonprofit ministry. The church ought to be doing that. They prayed to our God, and then they set up a guard. They got prepared for the battle. If they're going to come and attack us, they're going to be a terrorist. We're going to be ready. They set up a guard. And notice when they did it, they set up a guard against them day and night. Now, what happens is they're going to have to put guards that can't work on the wall, and then they're going to have to go to sleep, and other people will have to replace them. So the workforce is cut in half, basically. They've been building this wall, but the workforce is going about to be cut in half because they've got to stop and build someone to protect them in case the enemy comes. Well, I tell you what, we as mamas and daddies and grandmothers, and granddads, and we as young parents, our future young parents, we ought to be setting up guards in our family too. We ought to have a guard on that television. We ought to have a guard on that telephone and on that computer. We ought to have a guard on the school that they're going to. We ought to have a guard on the friends that they're hanging around with all the time. We need to have a guard in the neighborhood set up. I'm not talking about some way out there fanatic that is... Uh, looking for something that's not there. I'm talking about a wholesome, godly, God-honoring, faithful Christian that's willing to say, if the enemy's going to attack, 
they're going to have to come through me first. And that's what our churches ought to be. I'm going to be real open and honest with you. Denton Bible's had to speak out against some strong issues lately. And Tommy Nelson's my pastor, and I love him. And uh, he's had to make some real good, hard, strong stands lately. And we've had a lot of people leave the church. Do you know that? You know what's happened, though? We've had a lot of people join the church. They've come from all over the country. They've come from states everywhere. And we ask them, why? Why have you come here? Because we heard that Denton Bible was a place that hasn't abandoned the Word of God. And when we asked them, they said, we can't stay in the city we've been in. We can't stay in the church we've been in. I'm not being condescending. I'm not being prideful in any way because I know that God is the only one that can protect any of us. But I'm thankful to be in a church where the, there is a, a city set on a hill. There's a light that's on a candlestick. And if we have to lose people for making good, strong stands on God's word, we can't do anything about that. Maybe they'll come home someday. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. We're going to pray first, and we're going to set up a guard. We're going to watch more than we've ever watched before. Notice how it goes on. Verse 10, thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there's much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. There's discouragement. They're tired. They're weary. Some of them are afraid. They're worried about what's going to happen. Do you get worried when you look around at what's happening in our society today? I do. We know, we're not just having today, and I'm not here an axe-wielding crusader against you know, what's happening in, in our culture, but we're not just having fads come around. You know, every generation has looked at their young people and said, why do you dress like that? Why do you wear your hair like that? Why is your music like that? Hey, do you know a generation that doesn't do that? We've all done that. But we're just not talking about fads right now. We're talking about running after unrighteousness, running after sin to a great degree and calling sin good. So you and I need to be ready. And the way we do it is pray. The second way we do it, we set up a guard. If they're going to they're make fun of us, they're going to accuse us of being a fanatic, let them do that. That's fine. But I'd rather protect my family and my friends and my church family uh, from the bad guys, no matter what anybody calls me. It is so wonderful to get an email that just is encouraging. It is so good. And I've gotten a few of those lately. And I just, I really appreciate that. Um, if you've never emailed Tommy, you probably think, well, he gets so many emails, he probably won't read it. No, he'll hear every one of them. Uh, but do that. Do that and encourage him because uh, that's a wonderful thing we can do for our pastor. Look at verse 11. Our enemy said, they will not know or see until we come among them. Kill them and put a stop to this work. That is a cowardly, surprise, terrorist attack. And that's what Satan does. Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. He will try to attack you in ways that Oh, you never dreamed. It'll be a surprise. He wants to be a surprise. He wants to come 
in the night. He wants to come in the daytime when you're not expecting. He wants to come on Sunday, on Tuesday, and Saturday. He wants to come when you're not ready for it and wants us not to be ready. But it said the enemies will, they won't know we're coming. We'll get there and we'll kill them before and we'll put a stop to this work. In verse 12, when the Jews who lived there near there came and told us 10 times. Now, we don't know whether there is an informant. <laughs> Somebody's coming and telling Nehemiah what all these people are saying. We don't know if there's a spy that's coming and saying, hey, I've got news from you from the other side, or that these people are sp spreading so much terroristic talk that it's just widely known all around the city. But 10 different times they've heard this report, the bad guys are coming. The bad guys are coming. They will come up against us from every place where you may turn. And notice what they did. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. I prayed first, and we prayed. We set a guard, got some people to watch, police on the wall. And thirdly, we put everybody in a certain place to be ready to fight where they were. Why do you think it said there that I put some of these people in the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families and put the swords and spears and the bows right there? Why do you think he said put the men in front of their families? Because when that enemy attacked, if that man's fighting for his family, our uh, pastor emeritus, Pastor Mel, just had his birthday this last week. He's 97. And I've heard once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. Is that right? He told me, I heard him say it. He said, when I was a young man, I heard that some of those from another nation were attacking this country in World War II. And he said, soon that they might hit the beaches in California. And he said, I didn't want them to hurt my mama and my family. And I joined the military to try to do something about it. That's our pastor emeritus, Mel Summerall. Nehemiah is putting people in place. Fight for your families. Fight for the will of God. And you and I need to do that, not in a worldly way. We need to fight by loving this Bible and holding on to it, teaching it. We need to teach our children a good, solid worldview. They don't need to get their worldview off of the television from some people that have abandoned God's word so long ago, they need to get it from us. And we need to be willing. Men, first of all, we need to be willing to fight for our families, fight through prayer, fight through righteous living, fight through serving your church, fight through evangelism. All you have to do in your neighborhood is walk your dog and there's going to be people come to know Christ because they're going to stop and talk to you and see where you live. Yeah, I live in this house down there. We live in this house down there. And pretty soon they're going to find out about you and there'll be people ready to come and hear the message of Christ. Number three was he stationed people in place. I've said often that a church that's healthy has a place for everyone and everyone in their place where God wants us to be. Some of you may be here tonight and you say, the preacher doesn't even know me. I'm sneaking in the service and sneaking out and I'm going to just, I'm not going to just uh, get known so I can just, uh, I want you to know something. God sees every one of us here. He knows every one of you. I told you men that it's very important for us to stand up first, but you ladies, 
You're some of the most powerful creatures on the face of this earth. A godly woman is a powerful force in this world and in churches today. And we need you. We need you and praise God for you that are being the women of God. You young people, we, we hear people making fun of somebody because of their age, being too young or too old. That happened always throughout time. Paul wrote back to Timothy, Timothy and he said, don't let anybody despise your youth. I want you to know you young adults are so valuable to this church and to our country and to this world. There is no telling what God wants to do through all of you. The potential that he's given you is so great and so wonderful and so powerful. Hold fast to him and you'll watch him do great things all through your life. Nehemiah said, everybody get in place. And that's what they did. Verse 14, when I saw their fear, I rose up and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Oh, no. We read Paul in the New Testament said it. Now Nehemiah is telling those people, don't be afraid. If I'd have been there, would I have been afraid? Probably. But here's the man of God saying, don't. Does he know something I don't know? <laughs> he must. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work with half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Boy, you talk about getting some work done. Everybody pitched in and they were valiant for the Lord. They stood firm. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. You've probably heard many messages, sermons, or, or lessons on them holding a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And I want to tell you, isn't that a picture of the, of the Christian life? We've got work to do. We've got a trowel in one hand that God is using. Every one of you here that know him, he's using you to help build the church here on this earth. You are building what Christ intends to build. But he doesn't just intend for us to have a trial. We need to have a sword in our hand too because we have an enemy. There's going to be a place called heaven. We can lay that sword down. We won't need it then, but until then, we need it. What did Jesus tell us through his word that that sword is? This right here. I have never seen these words fail. How about you? I've heard of people that mocked them, that cursed these words, that boasted against them, and I've watched them be defeated over and over and over again, and God's word still stand, and it will. Though the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. It's going to turn out the way God says it will. They've got a trowel in one hand, a sword in the other hand. Verse 18, as for the builders, each wore his sword girded on, at his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near. We don't have time tonight to talk about the trumpeter, but in, in uh, Ezra cha uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 and in Joel chapter 2, God had told Israel to make sure you had a watchman on the wall, a watchman that could see far off if the enemy was coming. And when that watchman saw the enemy coming, he would blow the trumpet so that he could warn God's people to get ready. And here he's saying, we've got a trumpeter. And that trumpeter stood near, ready to give the signal if that enemy approached. 
Verse 19, I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we've separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. You know what rally means? That word means unify. Would you agree with me that we as humans have divided and separated over everything we could separate over? Did you drive an electric car here tonight? Well, shame on you. Did you drive a Ford? Well, shame on you. Uh, now I'm going to get emails for that one, I'll bet. Uh, did you drive a GMC? Did you drive a Dodge? Did you drive all the rest of them? I could go down the list. We have divided over everything we can think of to divide. Well, I love this. Nehemiah said, rally. I want you to all come close. I want you to unify. I want you to get together. And he said, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. You may say that sounds like biblical words, but in my life, you don't know what I'm going through. That four-year-old doesn't know what he's going through either when he's scared at night and those things that he's afraid of in his room, but he trusts mom and daddy when they say everything's going to be okay. You and I need to read God's word when the enemy comes to try to terrorize us and we need to say, I believe what you said. I don't know how you're going to do it. It doesn't feel like it. I'm not sure what's going on and I'm scared, but what time I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Like the psalmist said, God, I believe you're going to take care of this. I love to see people that are faithful in times of fear when they're afraid. He said, so we carried on the work with half of them holding the spears uh, from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and labor by day. He said, you just stay here in the city. Don't go home. You just sleep here. We'll watch over you. You can watch over us. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. How would that be for after a few days. Uh, they didn't even go to bathe. They didn't go away. They were getting the work done, whatever it took. And then six, each took his weapon even to the water. When they did need to go to take care of any needs that they had, they took their weapon with them. That's the third attempt that the enemies tried to stop the work of God's people. They threatened them with terror. What do they do? They prayed, they prepared for battle. They stood in the place God wanted them to be. They listened for the trumpeter. I can't help but think about that. You're living in a world that's fallen and broken and we got struggles and we will have struggles as long as we're alive and as long as this earth is still here. But there's gonna be a day that Thessalonians says there's gonna be a trumpet sound. Old churches used to sing a lot of old hymns about that. There's going to be a voice of the archangel and the trumpet's going to sound and those that are into Christ Jesus are going to be caught up off this earth to go be with him. And we won't have to worry about these things anymore. Are you ready for that? They listened. They stayed together. Don't be a nitpicker. Churches are full of nitpickers. Well, I want the music to be like this, and I want the chairs to be like this, and I want this to be like this. The Bible says, count others better than yourself. Let's play some of your music. 
Doesn't Joel and his team do a great job for us? They really do. I'm very grateful for that. They sing a lot of new things, a lot of older things. They mix it together well. We need to say, no, what do you want when those things, they don't matter. Some of our preferences, we don't need to make them forced on somebody else. We need to give our, our heart over to them and say, no, what do you want to do? They stayed together. And then the last thing they did is, is they kept their swords with them. They kept ready to fight. And you and I don't need to put our guard down. Uh, we need to be ready, day or night, to stand no matter what it takes. Preachers need to preach the word of God if everybody left their congregations. Godly women and godly men and godly young people need to stand and hold fast to God's word if they're the only ones in their group that do. They'll be glad they did one day. And then there's those, that phrase again as we close. He said, don't be afraid. How in the world could that happen? Well, I want you to look at one other verse with me that I keep turning back in my adult life. It's in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. When you go to the eye doctor, what do they try to achieve for you? What kind of eyesight? 2020. I want you to look at Exodus 20. 20. You've seen it before. You know, if somebody that's dealing right now with fears, panic attacks, with anxiety, those things are real. You know somebody that is suffering by, with depression? That is a very powerful, fearful terrorist attack on people's emotional and psychological beings. You know somebody? You honest and say, I struggle with that? Just be honest. We all have fears. Paul said, I have fightings without and fears within. But I want you to see a great verse. You remember what I said? You got to hear the truth. You got to trust your parent. And we got to practice the presence of that one. Will you stay with me? Will you pray to Jesus tonight and say, will you stay with me? And you can know on the authority of his word, he says, I will. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Look at Exodus 20, 20 before we pray. There is no terrorist attack formed against God's church that he will not give us the strength to stand. If we're in his word, we're in his will, we're studying and holding fast to the Bible, we're praying the way we should and living the way we should. Just like he did for these Israelites a long time ago, he'll do for you and me too. Look at Exodus 20, 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. There's Moses saying it. We've got Nehemiah saying it. We've got Paul saying it. Now Moses saying it. Do not be afraid. I want to know how. Here it is. For God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you. Wait a minute. Don't be afraid of the world or man or the enemy. Don't be afraid of what anybody else could do to you, but fear God. You don't mean it could be as simple as that. If we fear God, not being afraid of him, but with awesome respect the way we should, it's stronger than the fear of anything this world or the enemy could do against us. That four-year-old knows it. That four-year-old knows it when you tell them because they're looking at mom and daddy, somebody that tells me the truth, that feeds me and cares for me and protects for me. I believe what that parent tells me and that parent's not going to leave me. I trust him and that little four-year-old goes to sleep. I need to, let's just count this sermon for me. I need to fear God. 
and I need to fear him with more respect and honor and devotion than I ever have in my whole life. And what this verse says, the more I fear God, the less I'll fear anything else that can happen to me. You want to be ready for a terrorist attack? You just be so close to God that that terrorist attack won't even frighten you. In nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is a sign to them they're about to be defeated and you're about to be saved. Three times the enemies tried to stop this work of God and they haven't got it done. And men and women, the enemy's not going to stop until he's thrown into a lake of fire. He's going to try to stop you and me from doing God's will too. He doesn't have a chance. I have a little piece of paper that was on my desk for years and it said these words, a saint on his knees need never retreat. That's what God's called us to do. Fear him and don't be afraid of anything else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these words. I ask you to forgive me so many times when I've failed you, Lord. Um, the terrorists have come, whether they're mentally or emotionally or it can be a physical ailment, Lord, that can make us deathly afraid. It can be death itself. It can be a spiritual attack, Lord, by forces that are much higher and stronger than us. We've been afraid, Lord. But your word everywhere we turn, through, Dave, through Moses there, and David says it too, and through Paul and in different places, don't be afraid. Everywhere we turn in your Bible, don't be afraid. Oh, God, we need your power to be that. And we just read that if we'll fear you, to honor you and love you and give you the, the glory that's due your holy name, you told us that that would give us strength to not be afraid of anything else. So please do that for us. Thank you for everybody that loves Denton Bible Church. If there's visitors here, they may be from another church. I pray that they love their church. But if you'd call them here, Lord, help us to be the church to them that we should be. We pray for our country, Lord. Help, help America to hit our knees, to turn back to you, Lord, and to serve you and love you. And Lord, if there could be someone here tonight that's not saved, one of these days when that trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel cries out and Jesus tells his church to come to be with him, there's nothing else going to matter on this earth. Men and women, there were two lists at the end of the Titanic. Lost and saved. There's two lists here tonight. And if you're saved by the blood of Christ and you have a personal relationship with him, you know it. And you're grateful. You thank him for that. But if you're not saved here tonight, heaven's real, but hell's real too. Please come and talk with me or one of these others that here tonight. We'd love to pray with you. You can know that fear taken away. Perfect love casts away fear. And God's ready to do that for you. And he'll do it because of what Jesus did for us. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.